Episode number eight. Let's roll. Welcome to the Weight Training Podcast with your host, Tracy Waite. Hey, hello, and welcome back to the Weight Training Podcast. Coach Tracy Wade here with you. Just wanted to wish you a fantastic Happy New Year and welcome to 2018. I hope that your 2018 is off to a really healthy and strong start. I am going to be continuing my discussion as to the mindsets, motivations, and habits of coaches and athletes that are doing it right and making a fantastic positive impact out there. And today's guest is a fantastic addition to this discussion. Today I have with me Coach Craig Bankowski. He has been playing or coaching competitive volleyball for the last 20 years. He has been a director or coach for club sports, club volleyball specifically, at Stanford as well as at Ball State. And then he's also been the director of a nonprofit club volleyball out in Palo Alto, um, which is the elite volleyball club. He went to Chaminade College Prep in West Hills and then attended Ball State University. And he is also an avid coach and health nut like myself. He has a Bachelor of Science in Exercise Science and Personal Training cer- Certifications um, that are national. And he also is a gold medal squared certified coach for volleyball and he's got a passion for helping volleyball athletes get their best and become their best and so i can't wait to share this interview with you it's wide ranging we touch on a bunch of topics and i could talk to craig for a long time so we might have to have him back for a part two but without further ado here's my discussion with coach craig craig bankowski how are you great hey welcome to the weight training podcast Thank you. I'm excited to have you here and dive into just like what we talked about, some of the mindsets, motivation, and habits of what I deem to be highly effective coaches. And I think that uh, you have a lot to share with some of your athletic background as as well as your passion for coaching. Yeah. So I'm really excited about diving into this. Why don't you give uh, me as well as our listeners a little bit of a quick background on um, your athletic uh, background. What did you do from a sports standpoint yeah. growing up? Um, I was always into sports very, very young. Like I was the one, when I came home from school, I would just go in the backyard and literally just play football by myself. <laughs> and just toss, catch, kick, everything, you know, basketball. I mean, every sport and uh, did everything when I was younger. And then quickly learned um, being six feet tall, I was definitely not the tallest on any playing field and I was very small, even though I worked out, it didn't matter. So I was like 130 pounds, six feet tall when I got my driver's license. Um, so I, I played baseball for seven years. Um, and then the uh, the actual, the little peewee, whatever you call it, team. Um, Pop Warner? Pop, uh, well, not, sorry, not Pop Warner, that's football. Oh, baseball. Uh, Babe Ruth? The, uh, the, the uh, what do you call it, the national championships who ended up winning the Little League World yeah, Series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were from Northridge, um, and that's right next to me in Chatsworth, okay. in like the north part of Los Angeles. 
So those kids were trying out at my same middle school. They all ended up going there. So I did not even come close to making that baseball team. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough crowd that you uh, had yeah. to grow up next to. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like I made an all-star team every year, and all of a sudden, boom, I just hit reality real fast. That was in seventh grade. So sure enough, the next week I see volleyball tryouts, and the rest is history. So I've been playing you know, ever since then. Um, and I still tried to play football, but I broke my thumb my freshman year because I was very small. Um, and I, it, I still absolutely love football. Um, but, uh, you know, again, reality hits. So here I am my freshman year in high school. And um, I, I, you know, after that freshman year, I really needed to choose a sport because club volleyball, you know, was, and volleyball is like a year round thing in football. Yeah. The only downside that I really saw to it was you're stuck with the, the school and you couldn't have a club experience. And that's what I really liked about volleyball. So I was really now building friendships outside of, you know, the, the, the school team. And I still have friends to this day, you know, from high school club and college and all that stuff. So that, that really made it a lot more special. Um, and then, you know, I had to do community service hours and whatnot uh, through my school. and found out I can do it through coaching. So, oh, wow. boom. Yeah, so starting in ninth grade, um, by the end of that season, I was like, okay. So I was volunteering at the middle schools, and um, then I was the team manager, or whatever you want to call it, for the uh, varsity team after that, and helped coach the JV team. And most of the head coaches, especially for JV freshmen, are not well experienced. So I was literally coaching the team. <laughs> And uh, had so much fun, you know, for for working with the girls, and of course, being young, I was like all the wow. good-looking girls playing volleyball. Yeah. So that oh made it goodness. even a, a bigger perfect, bonus. Perfect job for somebody that age. Yeah, I got popular really fast. That was fun. So, with your, let's go into the. So you start playing volleyball in high school. Uh, well, it was middle school. Middle school. Um, but yeah, but I really got that wake-up call. Same thing. Like in football, I was way too small, and in volleyball, I learned being six feet tall is also very short. Uh, for, for the men's game. Um, so I, I was really fortunate to work with uh, one of my coaches, uh, you know, at, at, at the time was AVP, now FIVB. Um, so she just kicked my butt. So we trained in the sand, um, you know, on the beach, Azuma Beach, as uh, anybody knows SoCal, that's a, that's a big one. Yep. Um, but uh, then Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach, so there's something called the hill. And uh, that's where a lot of the, the pros train. It's literally just a sand hill. It goes straight up. It's like 100 yards. And it's kind of tucked in in the middle of L.A. Um, so she's like, okay, anybody that can run up this hill, I'll, I'll buy you lunch. And I was like, oh, no problem, being all you know, overly confident. And uh, I barely did it. And I got to the top of the hill, and instead of like cheering like, yes, I was in excruciating pain. My thighs were screaming at me, fire. and I, yeah, it was just on fire. And I had to sit there, like curled up in a little ball. <laughs> yeah. It hurt so, so bad. So when she said run up it, she meant run the whole the whole way. Correct. You could not stop. If you stopped, no free lunch. Um, so, of course, free lunch when you're like 15 years old, that's motivation, right? Absolutely. 14 or whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, but that was like that aha moment in my life. Like, not necessarily no pain, no gain, but this is what it takes to really take yourself to the next level. And then um, my next coach throughout uh, club, he was one of those coaches where a lot of people feared him. Um, but I realized, because he was only 6'1", and he, he played NCAA on a full ride scholarship. Now this is back in the day in the 80s where you, know, you didn't have to be as tall, but this guy was just a stud, just super athletic. 
and he kicked our butts. Um, and this is a different coach that I was working with, and I loved it because the the incredible results that I got. I went from playing freshman on the freshman team my freshman year to starting and never getting off the court my vars- you know, varsity from sophomore on. Um, so my vertical leap tremendously improved, my quickness, everything, hitting power. It was just awesome to see the difference of just like the right way to work out in, in, for, for volleyball in that yep. sense. Um, so that was really, really motivating and, and changed me for life. So when I train kids, I do lots of private training with, with young girls um, and I, I push them hard. And I, at the end, you know, and you're always at that breaking point. It's like, okay, this is what it takes to get to the next level. And I ask them and I'm like, this is you, this is, you're the one doing this, right? I'm just yelling at you, you know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and then I tell them when they go home, like, Hey, part of your homework is to really think seriously. Like, do you want to go to the next level? And I say, there, there's, I don't want you to ever feel pressure either way. Cause this is your decision, but now you know what it's like to push yourself. So then you need to make sure like, okay, I want to continue this or I'm happy I tried it. I'm going to try something else because that's the worst when you're trying to push someone who doesn't want to get pushed. And that's, that's always a bad scenario. But most of the kids that, that go forward, it's really awesome to see and very rewarding when they got to get that same experience. So it sounds like you learned from that uh, coach you were just mentioning um, just to the point where you can push uh, kids and athletes and have them still respond without breaking them. Yes. And um, it's, it's kind of off the topic, but I think it's very, very important. I've noticed a big change in the culture of athletics in our country in the past five years, so really after 2010. Before 2010, sports, it was like, especially for varsity, you it's, it's win or go home, right? Yeah. So varsity is a big deal. You put on the college applications and it's really important. But after 2010, I, uh, it's mixed. So I get parents that would come to me and say, hey, I really want you to push our daughter. Cool. So I push her. And then halfway through the season, parents come to me, hey, what are you doing? You know, this is too much and blah, blah. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've never had this, you know, contrast before. And kids are kids. They're, they're never going to change. They are who they are. And they always want, they're smart. Well, they're a lot smarter now. They know what they can get away with, right? Sure. So um, I think it's really tough on coaches now than it was 10 years ago because getting to push them, you end up getting a lot more pushback from parents. And I've learned administrations and schools and, you know, USAV, they're highly sensitive to liability stuff. And it, so it's true. a real shame. And I think uh, for coaches, it's, it's hard on the coaches that want to push the kids, but then you know, it, and it's like they, they're labeled as mean. And then you have the other spectrum of coaches where they want to, I don't want to say they want to be their friend, but they're like too nice. And then the kids just walk all over them and they don't get the experience they should get. That's true. So I've noticed a big culture change and it's throughout the whole country. This isn't just like in Colorado or in California where I was at. It's all over the place. And, um, and I don't know, you know, I don't know what to say in terms of that, but I think that we should start building an awareness around it. Um, and get this coddling stuff out of the way because it really hurts the coaches and ultimately it hurts the kids. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think there's a balance between um, you know the the pushing and like you said, uh, some coaches come across as you know the yellers mm-hmm. and stuff and are you're maybe being perceived in the incorrect way. But yes. as long as athletes, I think, are responding and are getting a positive experience out of it. I think that's what the, you know, the true definition of, you know, if 
it's yielding results. You know, You're a hundred percent right. And those kids, like it's trust, I guess you can say, right? Yep. So yep. when they trust their coach, like, hey, right now he's pushing me because he knows, or like they know that they, the coach wants the best for them versus, oh, he's being mean kind of thing. And it's, it's awesome when you, when you gain that trust, but you have to gain it first for the athletes, whether yeah, it's individual team or whatnot, right? But, um, but when the kids, it, I see it played both ways, the parents can get in the way of that. And it's like, ah, oh, I've had that so many times where I have the trust of the athlete. And these are kids where I've coached on you know, different levels of club and school for, for several years. And then the parents just break it. And it's such a shame because the kid was, was just really excelling. And uh, it's, it's like, ah, oh, man, it's really tough. Yeah, along that topic, um, when our daughter was looking at being recruited for colleges, she was working with an organization called NCSA okay. that uh, does a really good job of reaching out to coaches and making you aware of what opportunities are available. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they ask you in the questionnaire in order for them to decide if they want to work with you as an organization is one of the first questions they ask is, uh, did your parents play sports mm. in high school or in college? Mm-hmm. And I didn't really get the connection for that, but really what it has to do with is, do you have um, parents that know what the commitment is like mm-hmm. and the work ethic yeah. to push hard consistently enough through all your high school years? Mm-hmm to be able to put you, you in a position to where you can be um, in a position to get a scholarship. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what a, you know, a lot of kids these days, um, it seems like we're running more up against um, this uh, finger pointing mentality instead mm-hmm. of taking responsibility mentality. Yes. And you know, like what you talked about with uh, the trust component, I found that you know, the kids don't really care how much you know and what your experience is mm-hmm. until um, they know that you care about them. And that's yes. where the, the trust part. So Very good. that care part doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna coddle them, mm-hmm. but it does mean that you know, you've set some expectations and you've given them some criteria as yes. to what it is that you want them to accomplish and yeah. you're gonna hold them to that. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's exactly how I coach is I will always, I need to learn the expectations of my players and then set the, expe- the team expectations. And I never want to make it too much and I never want to make it too easy in yep. a sense. Um, and I will push them and hold them to that threshold the entire season. And uh, that's the beauty of it. You can, you can adjust expectations like, you know, at the beginning, like qualifiers for club, right? Yeah. Like, oh, we want to go to Division One. It's like, oh, we're pushing for Division One, But then you find out, eh, really Division Two team at best. So you can, you can modify that. But then you have to hold everything accountable to that, too. Yeah. Um, but um, that's, that's the beauty of it is, is holding that expectation. And at the end, after all that hard work is done, regardless if the goals are achieved or not, all the kids and players, uh, you know, should walk away like, wow, I really got a lot of that season. Let's shift gears a tiny bit to club uh, sports. Mm-hmm. That's become, it seems like, more and more prevalent. There's more sports that are being played year-round, Yeah, such as volleyball. It's a huge industry. Yeah, huge industry. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, discussion around what's better is it to have a resume of having played for your varsity high school team versus played on a really good club team mm-hmm. when it comes to 
you know, getting exposure for scholarships and so forth. What's your thoughts on that? Great question. I have a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> so first, it depends on the sport, okay. and then also depends on location. So volleyball has now grown to the largest youth sport for girls in, in the country. So it surpassed soccer, basketball. Um, so I feel like I'm very blessed with that because now we have all the kids playing. I mean, every club team has two or plus teams in yeah. each age division, exactly. right? Um, so the competitiveness of volleyball is, is by far at its peak, which is, which is great. Um, and um, like I have uh, some family members that play lacrosse and, and all these sports where basically it's just tournaments, right? That's how they gain the exposure. So yeah, so depending on which region of the country you're in, which sport you're playing um, and school-wise, for varsity, we briefly discussed, right, that goes on a college application. So that's a big deal, regardless of whatever varsity sport it is. Um, so that's always good. And it shows commitment and, and so on and so forth. But if you want to get recruited for college, anybody in the volleyball world at the high level knows it's through club. Yep. School exposure, school's playing the same time colleges are playing. So that's why college coaches, they just can't recruit. And plus, you know, there's rules and whatnot uh, with that. So if any kid wants to get that scholarship, um, they have to do it through club. School I look at is like when I coach varsity, I really try to treat it like, hey, this is a big deal. It's not only representing your school, but more importantly, sure. like representing yourself to be a leader. And that's why you're putting on the college application. And I take a lot of pride with my kids. I say, hey, if you can survive me, you going off to college, this should be fun. <laughs> you know, like I don't want to say like easy fun, but it's more of, my job is to prepare you for the next step. Um, so with that said, I think for volleyball, it's really come specifically to club. Yep, I agree. And the club season is much longer than the high school season. Yeah. I think that just gives them much more chances of being exposed to, especially if they're a travel team and they're going to different states where there's the ability to be, you know, viewed by coaches that are, you know, looking for, you know, because we've had uh, that same they where you have coaches come up to us asking us about certain players that were just out on the courts. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that is quite as common in high school because of the season. It's incredibly time. rare. I mean, unless it's like that school is down the street, you know, kind of thing. But I mean, coaching next to Stanford, I was essentially right across the street for them for, you know, the last 15 years. Yep. Um, and they never, you know, did anything. And I think, again, legally wise, I don't think they can during the season. Let's um, change, again, I have got some, uh, so many questions and we may have to do like a part two at some point sure. because uh, I've got so much to ask, but let's go into a little bit of, um, there's a lot of kids that now are looking at club as something that they want to do to prepare them to be better volleyball players or better athletes, you know, mm -hmm. regardless of what sport it is. Tell me from your perspective, what are some mindsets, attitudes, or skills or approaches when it comes to kids preparing for tryouts for hmm. club sports that you would like to communicate that's maybe some good takeaways or you know just uh, some short you know tips that you can give them in preparing for that what can be a very nerve-wracking experience great question and this is exactly what i did uh, for the past what are 10 12 years was preparing kids for tryouts so like running a club, I, I had about 400 plus kids for my tryouts, right? Um, and in my area in particular, it was insanely competitive. Yeah. 
um, where you had like several clubs in each tiny, I mean, we're talking within a square mile, there's three, three or five clubs fighting over the same players. And then you move over one more mile, boom. It was, it was insane. So I think it, it also depends, this is another depends, right? Where, where, where do you live? How popular are the club sports? Um, how many clubs are in the area? Do you know the coaches? Do you know the directors? And then how do you weigh out which clubs are better for your child and whatnot or for you? Um, so what I always tell the kids is when you're going to a tryout, it's an interview. So first thing you do, you go right up to, if you know the coach, the head coach of that team you're trying out for, if you're trying out for multiple teams, you go to the director, you got to shake their hand. You look them straight in the eye and say, Hey, my name is Susie volleyball. And I'm very excited to try out for you today. And that alone will set you apart from the other 99% of the kids who don't shake their hand. And it doesn't matter skill-wise where you're at. Let's say you're, you're kind of in the middle or maybe you're on the lower skill end. If you went up and shook that coach's hand, you just now made yourself one level higher than ideally where you com- compare to the rest of the kids in that trial because those coaches are looking at you much more than the other kids. Right. Uh, so number two, which is hard for most kids. Some of them, no problem. They're loud and obnoxious, and we like that on the court. But most of them are very quiet. So who cares if you shank a ball or you miss a serve, right? You, just, you should just be screaming, hey, give me, give me the ball. I want to do it again. Let's go. Let's go. If they're constantly cheering, they want to be on the court. That's just a coach is like, gosh, I can't teach that. So I want that on my team. And everybody's got to fill rosters. And again, skill wise, whether you're especially if you're not as skilled, I think it's even more important yeah, that you should I be agree. louder. Um, but, uh, when you're showing that vocal presence, it's like, wow. And, and those, those two things are huge in tryouts and they set you apart. And th- that has nothing to do with talent or skill at all, but boom, the coaches, they meet you and then they, you get reminded of them. And then of course, after the trial, you walk up, shake their hand, give them a high five and you better be sweaty and bruised and with a big smile on your face saying, and, and shake their hand, say, thank you so much for letting me try out. And then you move on. And I've had kids that were doing this where they're over six feet tall and everyone knew by far they were the best players on the court and they'll be making any ones team that they try out for. But boy, does that show character because it shows, doesn't matter who they're trying out for, what team, it just shows you that that's somebody that you want on your team as well. Because they're going to be coachable. Yes. Yeah. So you brought up uh, the being loud you know, on the court. That sometimes is uh, not so natural for girls. It's difficult. Um, Whether whether they're trying out for a team or whether they're currently on a team. Mm -hmm. What are some tips that you would give some girls that are a little quieter, more shy, and more reserved, and not so willing to express themselves out on the court? What's some some tips or some, um, some verbal cues that you would give them? So one tip that I can give to the kids, but really I have more tips for coaches. Because okay. I think it's the coach's job because the, the kid isn't naturally just going to go, oh, and turn that switch and go yep. on. So for the kids, they have to trust their teammates. So if they're brand new to a team, any kid's usually going to be quiet, especially if they know like three or four girls have played together for a while and they're on yeah. that team. Yeah. So what they need to do to build trust is they have to hang out with these kids outside of the court. So if they don't go to school with them, they got to set up play dates or whatever, you know, go get yogurt after school, something, sleepovers. And that way they get to know each other. And the more they get to know them, the more they trust them, the less fear they're going to have making mistakes because mistakes is what makes you better. 
Um, so once they build that trust, then they have that chemistry where they're then they feel like a, like it's okay to open up and and say something crazy and nobody's going to judge me for it. Yeah. So that's the easiest way for those kids to build trust and if they're not feeling confident but they have to take that step and say hey i'd love to get you know more know you more whatever and uh, just set up those play dates Um, but the other side is it's the coach's job you know this is one of those life lessons where you're trying to build the strength and character of these young kids every person needs to be their own leader and um you know what's the definition of a a leader when it comes to athletes for you so okay so a big thing that I preach is sorry's or my bads right so kids tap their shoulder and they say my bad after a mistake and half the time they didn't even make a mistake and they're apologizing right yep. so are you kidding me yep. or their teammate makes a mistake and they're apologizing I'm like cut it out <laughs> so I look at that as a pity party and when you're playing on a team you don't want to have the spotlight on you saying oh look at me pity for myself Nobody wants that, but it's part of our culture that needs to change. So it's like, I'd rather, and girls are very, very nice, and most of them are too nice, and they, and they want to be liked. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's the right and wrong way about going, you know, going about it. So the right way is to show confidence, right? We're all going to make mistakes, and everybody, the girls are smart. They know who the, the more talented players on the team are. But the reality is, it's like, who cares, right? We're all here to get better. And the coach's job needs to, to create that culture of, we need to go out, we're going to work hard and make mistakes, which means we're working hard and we're going to learn from that. And encourage that for everybody. So the kids, instead of saying, I'm sorry, they, they got to just look up at the teammates or the coach. Hey, coach, I got the next one, right? Give me, give me the ball, let me do that again. And immediately, it starts changing that culture, which then leads to cheering. So if the kids can cheer for themselves, how easy will it be to cheer for the team? And girls, they prefer, you know, they're, they're great team players, much more than boys, right? Um, so girls will always be more likely to, to break out of their shell by cheering for their teammates. So that's kind of what I do at the beginning of the season. I literally have screaming contests. So in the gym, it's, it's just obnoxious. I like that idea. Um, yes, and, and I feel bad, honestly, for the teams who practice next to me because <laughs> we are literally, and the younger they are, of course, the more it breaks your eardrums. Yep. But the idea is to get them out of their shell. And you always have the two or three, of course, they love being obnoxious, which is awesome. Let them set the tone. They should be the spirit captains. Even if they're the worst players in the team, it doesn't matter. If they can crack a smile when kids are being too hard on themselves, awesome. They did their job, you know, and now they're a vital role player on the team. Whereas, oh, I never play, you know, it's like, get rid of that stuff. It's more of how can we be a team player? So you have coaches, you set, or you have the the coach set up the team. So you have whatever, six on six, or even if you only have eight kids at the practice, that's fine. Split them up four on four and they play a simple scrimmage, but whoever cheers the loudest gets bonus points throughout the, the scrimmage. I like that. Um, so you train a culture, and, and I've been successful with it a few times, but I have not been successful with it sometimes. And the older teams are harder. It's like varsity teams because they think they're too cool to cheer. It's like, come on. And I try to let them know, like, have you ever been to an NCAA match or an Olympic match before? And most of the hands go up. And I say, what, what, what's going on on the sidelines you know, don't focus on the players on the court. Right? What's going on on the sidelines? And what are these players doing? On the, and we're talking college age and older where, oh, I'm too cool to cheer. Are you kidding me? They're screaming. They're jumping. And some of them don't even see playing time the entire season. 
but they understand how important it is to support your team. That's being part of the team. And it's just incredible when you see these older kids doing it, but then you get these high schoolers that are too cool to cheer. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're the one who, you're not cool if you're not cheering, you know? So I really try to build that in the very, very beginning. And it's hard because again, the culture, oh, I don't wanna, you know, act all weird, you know? It's like, are you kidding me? The weirdest cheers are the best cheers because then people remember them. So what what I always do is the beginning of the season, I take time out of practice to cheer. Because if you don't practice it, it's not going to happen. That's what I tell all coaches. Like, don't expect something to just magically happen if you don't practice it, whether it's fundamentals. But this cheering thing is a big deal uh, for volleyball, and then they, they you know, should use it later in life. So then I hold a team party in the middle of the season, and, the, and I make it mandatory for the parents and the players. So at this party, the players are teaching the parents how to cheer. And... I got to tell you, Tracy, it's really fun. It, it's, it's worked out two times successfully in, in the club world for me and for high school teams. And the parents are making signs and everything. And, and this is high school, right? Where girls are like, oh, mom, dad, get away. You're embarrassing me. Yeah. You Why do you have to me? be here? Yeah, come, get away, <laughs> right? Whereas like they're l- latched on to you, you know, through like sixth or seventh grade. But the beauty of it is all of a sudden you see these signs popping up and the parents are doing the cheers. What do you think the kids are doing? They're smiling, they're laughing, they love it. They can't get enough of it because here it is, a critical situation, and boom, the pressure's gone. Who cares if I make a mistake because I know I got the backing not only of my coaches, my teammates, but here I got a peanut gallery that's positive for once rather than you know, negative. So it's nice to get the parents the right things to do too. from a parent perspective. Correct. <laughs> Instead of the things that the kids Absolutely. don't like. I mean, I can yeah. go on and on about parents, what to do, what not to do, but, <laughs> but the reality we may dive is, into that. um, yeah, exactly. That's a whole nother, uh, I know we story. could talk an hour on that. Um, but the reality is there are so many things that the kids can do regardless of skill level that can truly make the difference in a team. Um, so back to the tryout way, way long ago is like when, it's hard. I, I never expect kids to have that high energy and whatnot. And I'm not saying, oh, if you have that high energy and you're shaking their hand, you're going to make the team. But what I am saying is you're going to be more confident. You're going to play better, which means everybody else. And more importantly, the team plays better. So I always tell them, you know, as long as you're cheering, especially when you lose a point, that's when you should be cheering the loudest because you're showing the other team you can't break us. And there's no momentum shift because we're going to play our game. And regardless if you win or lose, you're going to have more fun and the team's going to play better. It's, it's a win-win-win situation and a side bonus, which has happened when, when I get my teams and parents all on the same page. And this has happened at the 12-year-olds, 13s, and you know high school levels. On average, at least one point is now switched to your side. <laughs> because, and we're talking like long-time officials who've been officiating for over 20 years. We're like, I thought I saw the ball out, but clearly this team is cheering, so I'm going to call it in. And I've seen coaches just be irate on the side, and I felt bad for the coaches because we had several calls in one match get switched over to this. I'm like, I told the coach, I'm like, hey, we're just cheering, you know. I was like, that was a bad call. I'll agree with them. Yeah, I'm nodding my head, <laughs> but it's crazy. I think that uh, cheering and uh, and Cheering done right, I think, does yes. positively affect what happens on the court. It's amazing. And yeah. correct, the right way to cheer, right? Yeah. It's Not like, when it's bad sportsmanship. Yeah, and, and kids, 
again, they're smart. They know when somebody's coddling them. They know it's like, you know, you don't tell somebody good try when they're not putting any effort out there. And then you're setting the tone for the, for the rest of the teammates. Oh, I can be lazy and get away with it. Absolutely not. Right. I don't care if you win or lose the point. If I see the effort out there, not only me, but everybody should be cheering for that because then everyone wants to better the ball every play. It's really, really cool how it uh, transforms the team, but got to put it into the practice plan. Let's bounce over to, uh, you gave me a list or answer to some go-to coaching phrases that I asked you. (laughs) One of them that um, you gave me was something to do with cheers. Mm -hmm. The um, blood, sweat, and cheers. Yes. Which I love that one. (laughs) Yep. That has to do with, uh, you know, putting out maximum effort out on the court. Mm -hmm. But the cheer part keeps the fun factor in there. because. If you're not having fun, I think you agree um, we're not going to be able to keep these kids out there for very long. Yep. You know, if it's too intense and there's never a fun element, mm-hmm. you know, we aren't going to be able to keep them engaged for very long. Yes. From your perspective, what's uh, some of the go-to coaching phrases that you found have been the most effective? In you know, because as coaches, sometimes we feel like we're repeating ourselves over and over again. Oh, all right, good point. What are some go-to coaching phrases that you feel have been pretty effective in getting kids to you know, really uh, think about what they just did or think about you know the next play? Um, is there anything that pops in your mind? Yeah, my favorite one is better the ball. So better yeah. the ball, um, obviously, if you make a good pass, how can we make it better? If you made a bad pass, obviously, there, there should be plenty of ways to make it better. And we're talking from like I get so granular with with my kids and the coaching this goes back from kinesiology like when I learned the true study of movement of the human body it's just simple levers and pulleys and angles and and yeah. uh, gold medal square they go on it's just it's a game of angles you know if you know where this is coming from it's a simple geometry the court is 30 feet by 30 feet on one side it can only go a certain way and and all that stuff so that I, I enjoy the science of it uh, but how do you translate the science, you know, to make it fun and better the ball is just it basically You have to create that culture. So that way again that you want to eliminate the laziness kind of thing um, So on every single play, we're just always screaming better the ball and uh, Marv Dumphy was gosh by far uh, I was blessed to you know briefly work with him um, awesome. and uh, Yeah, obviously a, a Hall of Fame coach, but he is a very old-school coach which I really enjoyed. Some people might not as much. Um, but I, w- what is so special about him is he makes it so simple. So that kiss formula, you know, keep it simple, mm-hmm. stupid. And everything, every single play that happened, whether it was good or bad, he would always say the same thing. Hey, it's bump, set, hit, people. Is it really that hard? It's bump, set, hit. And if you keep it easy, it will be easy. And, and I used to be that coach, especially when I was in college and I was running club programs and, and coaching uh, uh, the Ball State women's team. Um, it was our first year. And I was like, okay, I'm going to... I was so like creative. And unfortunately, the, the different drills that you're running every single practice, all it's going to do is cause confusion, right? So you really... And Gold Medal Squared preaches this. You, you just want to have like four or five drills and just slightly, you know, manipulate them to either motivate you know, the, the teams throughout the season. But coaches try to do too much. And if you as a coach are confused, holy cow, your, your teams are very confused. Um, so better the ball is the first thing that comes to my mind because that, again, you just got to keep it simple. And, I, and the big thing that I was kind of mentioning uh, in my notes earlier is 
after playing and, and coaching from all different realms, from sand to grass to indoor, um, all around the country and even a little bit international, um, coaches, you know, they haven't really gone through coaching manuals. And unfortunately, there aren't that many out there. Um, so every coach has different things to bring to the table, which is fabulous. But how can we create it to be universal? So that way all the players and coaches are on the same page. And I've played for coaches where they had 81 different serving areas. Are you kidding me? How many teams have you played on where you're just just serve the stinking ball in the court, you know? Yeah, There's one area and serve it in that one, you know? Um, so that's, that's one of my big main goals is how can we create universal language throughout the sport um, for offenses, defenses, and, and how to change things and whatnot because Gold Medal Squared preaches it is harder than rocket science. And the reason why they know that is they've had rocket scientists analyzing That's the right. data. And, uh, yep, and they found out there's no way you can calculate <laughs> what's going to happen. Whereas rocket science, yes, there are calculations to figure out the that's theories. Right. So I think that's beautiful in a nutshell. Like that's, that's why we love the sport. It's challenging for coaches. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're the best hitter in the world, you can still get better. Yeah, it's more of an art than a science, mm -hmm. uh, the game of volleyball. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it. So... From your perspective, I mean, I have um, my uh, perspective on this, but why is participating in sports important for kids? Great question. Um, so for me, again, I enjoyed sports versus like reading books as a kid. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's, that's one thing, right? And, and after working with and directing coaches for so long, I try to tell coaches the reason why you're coaching is because you were the competitive one. You were the one where... Uh, duh, of course I'm going to go outside and play, but I don't care what sport it is and I'm going to win, you know, whereas the majority of people are not like that. And there's nothing wrong either way, but it's like, how can we, obviously sports should be fun for everybody, um, but how can we be able to get them out there, have so much fun so that way they can enjoy it? And it's not like a profession, but something that they can always play, whether intramurals and you know, when you're adults or something, they can continue on. So the competition level is critical that i wish i had you know coaches to teach me the importance of competition hmm. uh, i learned it the hard way um, when i was working at gyms um, as a personal trainer because i became a trainer because i wanted to help people like every other trainer in the world yep. but when you work at a gym what do they care about they don't care about the trainer they don't care about the people they care about the money yep. And that's how they create the competition. And, and I was fortunate because I'm so competitive, I, I excelled at that point and then moving up to management and excelled and you know, breaking all the goals and records and all that other stuff. But boy, I just couldn't believe, like, I was like, no, I'm here to help people. You know, it's, it's nice you know, making money for, <laughs> for all this stuff, but it's like, come on, you know? So how do you find that healthy competition? And that was really, really hard for me to learn. And I definitely learned it the hard way many times. And, and it was really after the age of 25 when I learned, wow, like how, how do I compete versus other people? And it got to a point where it was unhealthy because I was so negative on myself and I expected perfection in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. So that really changed my outlook on to how to manage people, how to work with people, and more importantly, how to coach kids. And, and you know, that fine line, like I'm not your friend, I'm your coach. 
right? I'm, I'm not your enemy. I'm not. And, and there's, and obviously it's so rewarding to coach kids and then coach against them. Yeah. And I always give them a high five. And of course, I'll always give them a little friendly, like I'm going to kick your butt. So you better get out there and play yeah. your best. Right. And they do. And it's so rewarding uh, to see that. So I think competition, learning how to compete is critical for everybody. So when you go and off do it in a healthy the, manner, in a healthy manner. So yeah. when you go off into the work world and we're talking about like for tryouts, this is an interview, right? You're going out there and you're competing, you're battling for everyone against things and there's a winner and a loser so there's a right way to win and a right way to lose and if you're if you're working hard and you, you go out there and if you lose you should walk away being proud and learning okay this is what I should be doing or not doing and, and all that kind of stuff but um, do you believe you learn more when you lose than when you win uh, I think that depends um, you know it's it's I always joke like oh it's easy to cheer when you're winning yeah. Right. But what are you going to do when you lose or or all of a sudden you're ahead by 10 points and all of a sudden, boom, it's tied and it's uh, it's 24, 24 and you're going into overtime. Right. How many of those teams are going to be able to dig deep and, and, and finish the, the game or uh, they've already lost that momentum? Um, so, yes, yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways to, to go about that. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think that um, the teams that win and win often have learned what it takes to put them over the top. Yes. And, you know, they uh, may not necessarily learn it from that experience that they won, but I think that they already have it ingrained in them from either uh, having it be practiced in practice over Correct. and over to where they're set, for, set up for success in the games. Yeah, and, and a big thing is mutual respect. Another thing I, I really wanted to illustrate is I really try to teach all my players. You are no better than anybody else and you're no worse than anybody else. If you always look at everybody who's they're, they're your equal, so is your competition. So, and we've all, you know, it's, it's simple to say, oh gosh, this team, they're, they're undefeated the whole season and they're playing a team who hasn't won this season. So it's like, okay, we can you know, predict the outcome. But the reality is that winning team should be able to walk up to that losing team and shake their hand before and after the game with mutual respect and thank them for the competition, yeah. even if they win. Because no matter what, if that team is playing the way they should be playing, I'm not saying they should go 25-0 and yeah. skunk the team both yeah. games, but I am saying they better be playing like no different, right? And, that, and that's, again, coaching. They have to practice that with their teams. I don't care if that's the best team in the world. You're going to fight them as hard as you can. And if you lose, that's okay. You should walk off with a smile. You know, again, blood, sweat, cheers you know, yeah. as, as you're coming off that court. I love it. Hey, I want to get your perspective on just a couple of questions I have here and then we'll wrap up. Really appreciate you being here. This has been a really great discussion. Yeah, my pleasure. So you gave me um, an answer to this, but I want uh, you just articulate it for our listeners. So if you had the ability to post a message up on a billboard, you know, it could be out mm -hmm. on I-25, it could be on I-70, you know, it could be uh, Highway 1 in California. If you had the ability to put a message on a billboard, what would you put up there? So this is something I kind of devised to motivate people as a personal trainer. Um, but yeah, but it, it essentially it, it, it works for anybody, which is no matter what happens every day you wake up, you got to ask yourself, do I want to push myself up and move forward and, and, you know, be productive or do I want to move down and, you know, drain, you know, be one of those poison, toxic people in the world? Yeah. And uh, there's no in between, you know, and that's just life because when everything's going great, all of a sudden, boom, you get that curveball. How are you going to be able to overcome that? And 
obviously, you know, people need help. They need support when things aren't going your way, but you still have to be able to lead yourself. So it's like, boom, before kids go into practice, I try to tell them, hey, you ask that question. Do I want to be the player that brings my team up or do I want to bring it down? Because there's no in between. You can't just, you know, go through the motions of practice and, and skate by. People are going to notice, you know. And you want to drop your head or do you want to, you want to be the, the one cheering your team on? So ultimately, I, I tell everybody, you got to earn your sleep. We sleep for a reason. We're resting. Why are we resting? We need to recover from what we did that day and prepare our minds and our bodies for the next day because we're human. We're animals. That's we're right. barbaric. That's right. we, we have changed so much in the last hundred years of technology, but boy, our bodies have not. We are the same <laughs> way. We, we use what? Not even 10% of the brain or whatever yeah. it is, but the reality is we have to learn that what we have is so unbelievable, this amazing gift of this shell that we live in. And for people to be able to, you know, understand the beauty of it, it's, it's remarkable. And unfortunately, we all get into that day-to-day, -day, you know, grind. I'm guilty of it. Everyone's guilty of it. And uh, it's like, gosh, you know what? Just how, how do you make yourself say, I'm going to get better today? Because obviously, if you're bettering yourself, that means you're bettering others around you. And it's going to happen again. You get that curveball or something doesn't go right. And it could be several days in a row, even yet a bad month. You're going to need support from other people. So if you built that culture around yourself, to obviously you choose your friends and you want to be around toxic people, that's your choice. You, know, you, can, make, you can make a change and, and go around the, the better people that are positive influences. But you have to make that decision. And you have to first ask yourself, okay, what am I going to do today to, to raise the level? And I need to make sure when I go to bed, I earn my sleep because that's so rewarding. Love that. I'd love to see that on a billboard. <laughs> me too. <laughs> hey, last question and then we'll wrap up. This has been awesome. Um, tell me from your perspective, what's your definition of success? You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be the number on the scoreboard or number on the scale. What's, what's your definition of success? That's a great question. Could be explained many, many different ways. So one thing I really like to look at success um, is success should be like a reflection. So, and it, whether it's a daily thing or w whatever you just did, um, and it could have been something that you worked on for months or even years, right? A PhD, right? You can, you can label, oh, well, education could be success or this. Success comes within. So the person, whatever task that you're doing or job that you're doing, the only way you can feel success is from within. So everybody can tell you around you, oh, that was incredible. You must feel so great about yourself. And people are like, actually, no, like, because they, they know they could have done more. They could have done better, right? Or maybe they were lazy in certain ways, right? And then there's that false success where people are telling you, oh, this is great. And you're thinking, oh, maybe I should be feeling better. And then all of a sudden it hits you later, like, oh, gosh, you know, so... It, it is hard to describe, but the reality is it, call, it comes down to one thing, which is effort. Boom and mic drop. We'll leave it there, Coach Craig. That's a fantastic place for us to wrap up. Thank you so much for being here on the Weight Training Podcast, and we look forward to having you back to uh, share some more of your wisdom and dive into some areas that we didn't get a chance to touch on. But thank you so much for being here, and we wish you all the luck in 2018 with those that you're working with and your teams. Uh, this episode of the Weight Training Podcast has been brought to you by VIP Training, Volleyball Impact Player Training. Uh, 
designed to help take athletes to the next level, both from a speed, quickness, vertical, and impact on their teams. Thank you so much for tuning in. We look forward to seeing you guys on our next episode. And until then, be great. And whatever you're struggling with today, it's only making you stronger tomorrow. Take care. Episode number 11.